3: Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. Hey, everybody, welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake. I am one of your hosts, Reza Aslan. And I'm another one of your hosts, Rain Wilson. Hello, everybody. Hello, Rain. Hey, this is a, a very special uh, episode. This is. Actually, a, uh, a re-airing of an episode that we did a little while ago mm-hmm. uh, called uh, Are You Part of Nature, where we went to uh, the site. It was one of the few on-site episodes we've ever done, which, by the way, we should do a lot more of those. That was fun. Why, why are we doing more of those? It was super fun. It was yeah.
2: super fun. Many of you have probably heard of the documentary The Biggest Little Farm. So well, good. not far from my house in Somas, California, is the site of The Biggest Little Farm. And we went over there. We talked to John and Molly Chester, um, the kind of filmmaker, caterers, turned farmers. <laughs> yeah, turned farmers, farmers. Exactly. farmers, And um, just a brilliant documentary from about, I don't know, five years ago or so. Um, really uh, insightful and, uh, and beautiful to behold. And we got to go visit the pigs and the corn and the worms. There were so yeah. many worms. Do you remember the worms, Reza? Oh,
3: so much worm poop. So who knew how important worm poop was? Well, now worm, we do. Worm, I worm mean, poop has kept our planet going. Oh yeah, yes, yes. yes. Yeah, we would all be we would all be dead if it weren't for those worms and their poop. And you know, the, here they are, just a, an average couple. Again, there's nothing all that extraordinary about John and and Molly. They're just like you know an average. LA couple who lived in a, an apartment. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, they did what we all do every once in a while. Like you, you watch TV or like, you know, you watch the state of the world and you're like, man, maybe we should just go and, and start a farm somewhere and, and get out. And then you move on you turn, you turn on Netflix and you keep going, but they actually did it. They, they have developed a fully sustainable farm on 200 acres outside of Los Angeles, of all places. And as Rain said, the the documentary was a huge hit. In fact, it was such a hit that they did a sequel. That's right. So just a couple months ago, The Biggest Little Farm, The Return, was
2: released on Earth Day, April 22nd, 2022, on Disney+, Plus, taking you back to see all their pigs and their corn and their geese and their snails and all their worms and their worm poop and all of the other stars of the original. This is a sequel I can really get behind, Reza. Forget all those Star Wars and Marvel sequels. I'm talking about Biggest Little Farm, the sequel.
3: The the Multiverse of Madness, Biggest Little Farm. Um, (laughs) Exactly. Since there's a sequel to uh, the documentary, we thought we would do a sequel to the podcast that we had with them uh, to reflect... Um, and highlight you know the the biodiversity of the planet and the interconnectedness of nature um that's I think the thing that really uh brought us to John and Molly's uh farm um the story that they have about how they transformed this 200 acres of dirt basically into um you know a a, a single almost micro uh, organism right these 200 yeah. acres Uh, that are are completely sustained and all the challenges that they had and and just the beauty of it and of course the lesson here uh is the lesson that is reflected in the title of the show which is that we are part of nature that there is no division between us reza it's avatar it's just avatar it's a a, you know it's avatar cameron it's yeah.
2: a giant tree that gives life and the roots from the soil and the bugs support the thing and the blue people dance around. It's all interconnected. Um, it's such a beautiful philosophy that John and Molly have uh, in the creation of and running of this farm. Uh, it's super inspiring. It was so great. Uh, I remember it as if it was yesterday being on that farm pre COVID and um and sitting down in their living room, taking a tour and sitting down in their living room and having this uh, really profound discussion. I'm really excited for you milkshakers to
3: check it out. That's right. And as as uh, anticipated as the Avatar sequel is, <laughs> so how are we uh, filled with the, the same anticipation for the sequel. Not just The Biggest Little Farm, but to the podcast episode about the biggest little farm so enjoy Hi there I'm Rain Wilson and I'm Reza Aslan and today we're talking about worm poop
2: Wait wait a minute I thought we were talking about the circle of life mm-hmm. you know the the miracle of humans reconnecting yep. to the earth our mother earth and uh-huh. how we can be a positive force for the the beauty of nature
3: Yes yes we're going to talk about all those things But also worm poop. So, Rain, uh, you know, uh, my family just got uh, chickens. We 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 have chickens. Yeah, we, we made ourselves a little chicken coop. We... We've got. You didn't make yourself a chicken coop. You bought a chicken coop. Well, we nailed it together. That's
2: something. (laughs) It is something. It came
3: in pieces. It's more than I've done. And we painted it and stuff, and we filled it with chickens. How many chickens? Well, it started out as eight chickens, and then one day we went in there, and one of the chickens was a bloody mess, and there was no sign of forced entry. Mm. So I have a feeling like all the other chickens chicken were Chicken cannibals. It was chicken cannibals. They ganged up on that one so it's chicken. The, 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 the dark side of the circle of life that people yeah. don't talk about. The idea was... Everyone kept telling us, like, oh, you're going to get all these eggs, more eggs than you could ever hope for, all these free eggs. We eat a lot of eggs in my family. As you know, I have 47 children. Yes. And we eat a lot of eggs. Okay. And you know what they didn't tell you? Is that chickens eat like five hundred dollars worth of food a week? Like, I
2: mean, they just <laughs> so you get thirty seven dollars worth of eggs after spending five hundred dollars in grain. Yeah, yeah,
3: exactly. But that, that's you know, that's I, I I feel like a farmer. I feel a little bit like a farmer. But if you let them out to run around your yard,
2: then they're gonna eat uh, other bugs and stuff like that. Yeah, right.
3: They eat those bugs. They do that. We also have bees. We have some bees. We're basically preparing for the zombie apocalypse. Wow, at my you house. got bees
2: yeah. and you got honey and eggs in your place. That's good to know. Mental note. What about you?
3: I mean, you, you got like a little mini farm. yeah, going? we got a
2: little mini farm, you know, we got a couple of pigs, pot-bellied pigs as pets in the backyard. Um My wife has got some horses and a donkey. And I think we've been over the zonkey. Yeah, I think our
3: our listeners know all, all about,
2: about the hockey. Um but they're on a horse farm that's a little further away from our house. But how often are you in nature? Like really in nature. Have you do you get in touch with nature
3: very often? I mean, I don't know. I feel like the idea was that having chickens and having bees and like a little garden that that would that would, you know, make me a little bit closer. It make me understand kind of how this whole ecosystem that is the earth would come together but you know not really what's the what is the
2: price that we pay by not being regularly connected with nature
3: there's i think something magical is lost when when we lose that connection but here's here's the point that i'm making is i feel like most people would say yeah, but that's, I mean, you're asking me to give up everything. Like, okay, so I have some chickens in the backyard. I got a zonky mm-hmm. in the backyard. Like, mm-hmm. that's thats the closest that most of us are ever going to get to sort of truly transforming our lives to kind of live off the earth. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going
1: to get well, closer let's, than that.
2: Let's face it. It's a lot of work. It's I mean, a shit ton of work. It's like it's. A, I have this dream of like I want to live on a farm and animals and bees and butterflies everywhere. It's like, wait a minute, no, you've got to have compost and spread manure and and till and harvest and keep out the bugs. Yeah, and get, and you know, it's and just hire like people it's, and fire a, people and yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of work, but. You know, when humanity was connected to the Earth, I think there was a lot to be gained from, yeah. you know, connection to the seasons, you know, the circle of life, the cycle of life and death.
3: A recognition of the the deep connection that we have with the other living beings on yes. this planet. The The, the very dependency. notion... That the planet itself is a sort of a single bioorganism, it's an ecosphere that, that we're a part of, yeah, we we've yeah. lost all of that,
2: yeah, and and I do think that it's a it's a crucial part of every person's journey is to a constant like reconnection with the natural world because we are these meat puppets, and soon these little meat puppet suits that we're wearing are going to schluff away.
3: And that's part of the miracle of nature as well. And so I guess the question is, what happens to us when we abandon the the modern disconnected life that we are living now and try to actually go back, right? right. To go back and to our sort of prehistoric selves, yep. right? Let's Become a part of that circle. Let's implant ourselves in that ec- uh, ecosystem. Sure. Let's let it. Let's let it control us instead of us trying to control it.
2: Well, as a matter of fact, dearest listener, Reza and I saw an amazing film. It's called Biggest Little Farm. It's a documentary film made by Molly and John Chester. So so cute. Such um, a great movie. And uh, it's it's very simple and so profound. So profound at the same time. I I wept like three times in the middle of this movie. <laughs> this couple are the farmers and owners of Apricot Lane Farms. It's just outside of Los Angeles. They had like 200 acres and that that brought back to life.
3: And they're, they're not like professional farmers. No. They're just like you and me.
2: And they went back to the land. We had the opportunity to go visit them and uh, check out the farm and talk to them about all of these life's big questions surrounding nature And uh, it was an amazing conversation and journey.
3: So Molly and John, um, I'm curious, Molly, you had said that you had had no farm experience. Why, how did you get in on, on this? Like what made you think to yourself, I'm gonna go from no experience With farming to creating this kind of unique farm environment?
4: Yeah, it wasn't, it didn't really happen in that kind of a thought process. It more happened from the continual solving of a problem and a need. And um, in my 20s, I dealt with some different health issues. And in solving that, I became really connected into how what you eat affects how you feel on a very basic level. And became then fascinated with the culinary side of that and went to culinary school where I began learning more and more about what nutrition and how to prepare nutritious food in the kitchen really meant. And when you get down to it there, it becomes not only about the choices you can make in a kitchen, which are like soaking, sprouting, fermenting, things like that that bring life into the food, but then what are the choices the farmer is making? Because what you start with and how nutritious that food is, is really... Uh, that's where you start, That's you only have that to start with. So from there, I then began working with clients and tried to find farmers who were raising food in this way that I wanted to feed clients and our own family. And we found a lot of really amazing farmers, but we could not find really fabulous eggs. So we started talking about what if we did eggs and pulled out all the stops and did them just 100% the way that we would want them to be. And at the same time, we had a dog who was barking his head off. And we had this very, you know, novice idea that we could have a farm and that would solve the dog's problem. We'd have all this amazing food and grow anything that we wanted to have. And so it started there, really. And then John had a little more background in farming, which helped. He knew how to drive a tractor and some things like that. But we just met, yeah, we met our partners and that enabled us to do this small dream on a much bigger scale. And we just dove Yeah, in.
1: we thought like five, ten acres. Yeah. So,
3: you know, just to be clear, um, that most people, when they have a, a barking dog problem, <laughs> don't open a farm.
1: You see, this is what I'm telling... <laughs> As I'm telling, the
3: solution. I tell this to
1: our couples therapists all the time. <laughs> there are <laughs> other is, ways, I think. The trajectory yeah. of this was fraught with <laughs> issues. and
4: It was a dream. It was following a dream to the nth degree. And then in having a dream start to become a reality, it's like, why would you stop that? You know? And so then in that, then you have to go down that long and winding road of where it takes you, which is wrought with fear and doubt and insecurity and all of the emotional sides that you have to then develop to be able to get anywhere.
1: I think sometimes it's actually easier to be courageous for someone else than it is for yourself. It feels as ridiculous as that sounds that that, that was the reason, that was the impetus, the the courage to save Todd seemed more acceptable than the courage to live the best possible life for us.
2: Hmm. And isn't that amazing how, how life when life works that way,
1: (laughs) exactly. Yeah. Like it's all of and nature works on this thing based on consequences, not on right and wrong. And so the consequences of our love for Todd and our commitment to Todd, as ridiculous as it sounded, that commitment led to this consequential sort of life that we get to live. And, I like that because I think we learn that over and over again as farmers, that the more deeply we look into nature, the more we realize it's not about right and wrong. It's about observing the consequences of our interactions. Well, let's go see your sacred farm. You've got, uh, you've got a little gator out there
2: to drive us around, and we'll, we'll do a little tour. Let's, let's do it. Awesome. You've got uh, cows and pigs and chickens and worms and all kinds of stuff for us to see.
3: Yeah. Let's get our hands dirty.
1: All aboard.
2: Now, we're standing on top of a hill overlooking some orchards here. Um, What kind of trees are we looking at down here below? First,
1: first, really important, this is Alan York Lookout. So this is named after Alan, our mentor. What did you learn from him? And And how is that reflected here? Yeah. yeah. I would say uh, at the the core value was maximizing biodiversity as a way to prevent epidemics of pests and disease. And by that it means invite nature back onto the farm. Rebuild it as an ecosystem and then try to fit a farm within inside of a reawakened ecosystem. Ooh, so it's a little bit ass backwards. Exactly. Build
2: it build variety of ecosystems. And then build a farm inside of that. Without, wow, without creating
1: cool. collateral damage. And, you know, that's the negotiation every day. And be comfortable with a, a level of disharmony, you know, um, because ultimately— so what does that mean? Uh, like, like we, all look for, we all look for perfection in farming, and that's why we're— I mean, we have a president that wants to stop a hurricane with a nuclear bomb, and there's collateral damage from that idea. What's the problem with that? <laughs> oh, okay. We'll talk about it later. Okay, okay thanks. Thanks. Offline. Thanks. And, you know, I think that's the way we view farming. If there's a past, let's kill the past. But there's a collateral debt to pay. You're killing, you know, you're killing bees, which are pollinators. You're killing ladybugs, which eat a variety of pests. You're killing wolf spiders. You're killing all these other things that actually help balance out the epidemic of pests and disease. But you're making a decision about one. So ultimately, and then it came down to his very simple philosophy, was cultivate beauty, because within this beauty, there is infinite possibility to collaborate with nature. I mean, this is beautiful. Collaborate with nature. That's a concept. <laughs> Molly, what does that
2: mean to you, collaborate with nature?
4: Collaborate with nature just means to watch it, observe it, to to learn from it before you start to project your ideas onto it. And, um, I mean, it's a force much greater than us, so we might want to listen. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he did, Alan applied then that to here he actually had come up here when this was totally ripped out so there was nothing but dirt and he saw the contours of the land and then said one with a background in vineyards he thought let's plant on the contours that helps for multiple reasons with erosion and also then beauty and then all of the roads are put where the runoff would be so it will gather down there someday we'll have a little uh, pond at the bottom which hasn't quite happened yet but we so in here then for to maximize diversity, we have seventy five different varieties, twenty types. So it's uh, apricots up on the hill, nectarines, peaches, plums, uh, mandarins, figs, persimmons, pomegranates, cherimoya. I mean, it goes on and on, but it's a delicious spot.
2: <laughs> now you got some employees coming out of a truck over here. They look like farmer interns from like. Evergreen State College. I mean, is this true? is this a kibbutz? Kibbutz?
1: Are we on a kibbutz? <laughs> it feels like
3: that, doesn't
0: it?
1: So what's going on so over there? That's actually, that, those two individuals over there are specifically focused on the restoring of habitat. We literally use habitat restoration like preemptive healthcare. Hmm. So their job every day is to continue to go around and see opportunities where we can infuse native habitat that brings wildlife back to the farm into the agricultural ap- operation. So they're not hippie students; they're professional. They're professionals. Starters. Yes, <laughs> that's Ruby. Hey, hippie. Like <laughs> <is>? <laughs> that's Ruby and Lucas. <laughs> we can bring them over and say hi if you want.
3: Yeah, but let's uh, see what like what they're working on now. Like want, if, it's, if it's yeah. if it's they're yeah. trying yeah. to. Hey, Ruby. Rebuild the habitat. Ruby. Lucas. Hi, I'm Reza. Hi, Ruby. Hi, Ruby. Good
2: morning. Hi, I'm Rain. How are you? Nice
3: to meet you, I'm hey, Ruby. Reza, how are you? Guess. Nice to meet
2: you. you, Lucas. Hey, Rain. How are you, Lucas? Nice to meet you.
3: So yeah, we were we uh, we just w- wanted to hear about what you guys are working on in the in the current restoration, um, you know, process that you're doing.
4: Well, right now up here we have this this pond. Um, right around on this edge where we're standing, there's a meadow restoration project. So we put some native grass seed in, and we're working on keeping that wet. Um, but in the pond. We have these floating islands that provide habitat for birds to um, have nests all year round. We've got fish in there, and we've got butterflies, and yeah.
2: I hear mad chirping down there.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) There's some crazy. Yeah. There's a lot of life down there.
0: Yeah.
2: And it changes throughout the season. Sometimes there's migratory birds that come from like Canada all the way down here. And they'll just hang out for the wintertime. But this time of year, these are kind of like residents for summertime. Hey, Milkshakers, this podcast is sponsored by Better Health. And I'm really psyched that it is. Because perhaps you have something interfering with your
3: happiness or something that is Preventing you from achieving your goals. Yeah, it's called the world, Rain. The world is interfering with my happiness. Well, oftentimes it's
2: the world inside. It's the world inside here, the big melon that that gets in our way and that holds us back. So BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. This is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy. It's psychology. It's done securely. It's online. There is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime, send a message to your therapist.
3: And you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So you won't ever have to sit in one of those uncomfortable waiting rooms like you do with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches So they make it easy and free to change therapists if that's what you need. And it's more affordable than traditional offline therapy. Plus there's financial aid available. All of this means that BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So visit their website and read their testimonials because they're posted daily. Visit betterhelp.com
2: slash milkshake. That's Better H-E-L-P. And join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Special offer for Metaphysical Milkshake listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash milkshake. Hey, milkshakers. I have been flying around the world literally this summer shooting a TV show. I'm often sitting in airplanes with nothing to do and in waiting rooms and at Airport gates with nothing to do, and thank God I have discovered the magical world of Best Fiends. It's what I do with my free time. I get to open my little game and visit my little friends, my little fiends, and we attack the slugs together.
3: Be honest, Rain. What uh, what level have you gotten to on Best Fiends? I'm, here,
2: I'm I'm cruising this summer. I'm totally cruising. I just crushed level fifty ice halls where I took on a giant evil slug boss monster, I upgraded all of my little fiends to prepare and I matched them all to take out the boss and it was
1: awesome.
3: Very good, very good. Uh, this is great because you know, I, as you know, I'm trying to get off of social media because it's just depressing me to no end. I need something else to do. I need something else to do with my free time and The best thing about Best Fiends is that it's free to download. Uh, It's this amazing mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting levels for new adventures and, and challenges every single time you play. In fact, there are dozens of unique fiends to collect, so you can customize your team of fiends to defeat the menacing slugs. Power up your favorite fiends to new levels for even more powerful skills. Watch them transform as they get stronger. And with offline play... You'll never be stranded without fun, even if you're on an airplane in the middle of nowhere like my friend, Rain. So
2: listen, you've earned your fun time, so go to the App Store or Google Play and download Best Fiends for free. Plus, earn even more with $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Get it?
1: All aboard. All aboard. Okay, hang on everybody. I'm Yeehaw. tight turn. So we're heading, this is the this is the top secret operation of the farm right here. Could you just put some blindfolds on? <laughs> Uh-oh. This is called, we call this the VC. We call this the VC, the Vermicompost Center. Mm. We'll wait till your tactical team gets in here. This is where the dead bodies are buried.
4: No, that's over there. Oh, Oh, yeah, there's (laughs) a (laughs) dead.
1: (laughs) I'm
4: (laughs) just (laughs) kidding. So, this is a 40 foot worm bin. Um, It has red wiggler worms in it. And so, if you dig in here,
2: I think I just saw a human finger. <laughs> that was mine. Oh, okay. Wow, <laughs> look see. at all those worms.
4: There's just a million of them, and they live here this up at the This is 40 top.
2: feet by like four feet. And a little more than that. like six feet. And uh, three feet deep of mm-hmm. dirt filled with worms.
4: Yeah, so you, you feed on the top here. It's a mixture of... Um, just slightly composted manure with some juice scraps with clippings from the farm. And then the worms crawl up to eat. And so what they leave behind is these worm castings. And when the uh, material runs through the body of a worm, it increases the microbial content just immensely. And so that's one method to get more microbes in the soil.
2: Oh, look at that. So you've got one hand here with the dirt from the top of the bin. You can see leaves and... Yeah, leaves pieces. and chunks of fruit and things that the worms will eat. And then the soil at the bottom that has been wormified...
3: Mm-hmm. Basically worm poop, yeah. Worm, worm, worm po-
2: poop. soil
1: uh, looks like really rich, loamy perfect soil so in one basically in what it's here is like a tablespoon of soil the finished product has about nine billion microorganisms in it after this process because of that as it as she says it runs through the gut of the worm it's putting about 48 different types of bacteria back into the soil Um, which is why they always say you know worms are kind of the the champion soil builder the the unsung champions Yeah. yeah in a
2: way, isn't the most, if you really want to like have your, your corporal life be of service to the world to like, just get down in there with the worms.
4: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: There's cause then there's, you could bury a, a body there and fungal communities like mycorrhizae would seek out the nutrients of that body as it breaks down and take those nutrients and feed it to the root tips of plants in need of those specific nutrients and it would reward that fungus for that service of going through and sort of breaking down your body I and not, not to that. you know drag <laughs> things down here but like uh
3: when you die do you want to just be you know buried between the avocado trees it would be or? great
1: well there <laughs> actually is like, a whole, there's yeah. your farm <laughs> there's there's places that'll do this it'll bury you it'll bury you in that way um but, yeah, you're right. I mean, it really is the ultimate giving back. Because what we are is a, we're a leather bag of borrowed nutrients and minerals mm-hmm. from the soil. Mm-hmm. That's all we are. It all came from there. Everything that we know and are came through that soil process. Well, rains mostly chicken McNuggets. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yes, the rest of us. <laughs> and how did you guys yeah. find your way here? <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: awesome. Human leather. A human leather bag. <laughs> a human leather bag. Yeah, a, a of, human leather. Yeah, yeah, this is human leather.
1: Yeah. yeah. Of, uh, I like that nutrients I like that. and
3: borrowed <laughs> nutrients. Human leather purse, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I would not doubt that. Obviously, we have a lot of conversations about the way in which human beings have transformed the Earth in, in negative ways, but we never talk that much about the way in which the Earth has transformed human beings, right? In return. And so I'm curious, being this close, right, to the experience of the earth as a single organism, right, being this close to it, being so in touch with the cycle of of nature, how has that transformed you spiritually, metaphysically? I mean, yes, I know that you get less sleep and it's a lot more work and you often smell like pig shit. But beyond that, I mean have Have you had a different experience as a human being being in the world
4: yeah, experiencing the human emotional condition, psychological has that, has that shifted for you yeah and how i I think for me, one of the really dominant things that it teaches you because nature is brutal, it's really brutal, and it also is beautiful and magical and all of those things, but you have to learn how to grieve, and I think that that's Lost a little bit in our culture. I heard once that one of the the most important things you can do to teach your child is to teach them how to grieve, and I think that it's very valuable. As I've seen that in myself, because you deal with death very regularly here, you deal with loss, you deal with all sorts of different aspects. And before I knew how to do that, it resulted in anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I actually talked to a therapist one time who said, "And next time you're feeling like you're going to." have a panic of some sort, go and ask yourself if you're sad. And I did that and I cried as soon as, you know, the sun was going down. That's when the anxiety would come in. I went and sat in a quiet space, asked myself if I was sad, had a good cry and moved on. And then the panic attacks never happened again. And that you see, that, I mean, that's a very specific thing. But on the farm, you just face that all the time. And when you start to let that go, it's the process of release. And I feel, feel like, Getting to the process of release is something that we need more in our culture of. It allows everything to be renewed again. And we kind of want to stop that pain. But that pain is sort of the core and the crux of a lot of beauty.
3: Just just to take it one step further. It's not so much that because you're constantly surrounded by things that die. Is it also because you can't help but recognize that everything here that lives comes from the carcass of something that died. Yeah. Right? Absolutely.
4: It was... it's imp- Everything is completely impermanent. And it even, uh, uh, last night I was having a moment where I was coming home. My parents were just back in town. We had such a wonderful night. And I was recognizing that there was literally a panic of like, I want this to last forever, this feeling to last forever. But then in the fear of this is can't last forever, I was totally missing the experience of how wonderful that one second was. <laughs> and so it's... Yes, it's all around you is just it's so impermanent and you're so in touch with how impermanent it is and how little you can do to stop that in any way and how out of control you really are. That your only your only role is to be in in relationship with your life rather than being um, the controller of your life, then puts you in a space of humility, which allows so much beauty And emotion, and we have totally separated ourselves from the pain that's involved in that. But if we can go inside of that pain, we can all experience so much more truth and beauty. So, anywho, it's
1: it's the circle of life, one could say. It is the circle of life. life. I think we teach, we teach like we are encouraging our kids constantly to find purpose and meaning. And the thing that Molly's describing is the thing that's hardest, but brings us the most joy as farmers is this reconnection, but you have to be willing to accept that impermanence of life to fully reconnect with nature because it's nature on nature's terms. And that reconnection is the thing that I think for me brought about a whole new level and way of looking at like who we are as people and what it means to be alive because oftentimes you don't want to reconnect because you don't want to go through the anxiety and the
0: sadness of dealing with impermanence. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's.
2: Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer.
0: You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your
1: assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement.
3: In Western, um, primarily Christian um, cultures, the idea of the wilderness is wrapped around issues of fear and evil, the unknown, the the mysterious. It, in a way, over the last, you know, five, six hundred years has fostered this bizarre relationship between people and nature in which we have come to think of nature as something to be feared or, at
1: best, a thing to be controlled and tamed. Yeah, and think about every documentary that's ever been made about the environment. It, it's divisive in its tactic of fear. It creates a polarization and an absolute helpless feeling. And that was one of our objectives. If we were going to tell this story, it's the opposite. We feel that it all turns on affection. Like the change will come in the more deeply in love we are with our son, to see the possibility beyond the shortcoming that's right in front of us. Like when nature challenges us, it's like your son driving your tractor into the pond and then judging that child's ability and all future contribution based on that one incident. But when you love nature and you understand it more deeply, you see infinite possibility beyond the harm that it presents to us at face value. And so we wanted to create a film that allowed people to fall in love with the same thing that we were beginning to love well i think you've touched on something that's really
2: important about the debate around climate change which is it's a very much a debate about like should we have coal factories or should we not or how much should cars be allowed to pollute or what kind of bills should we pass and what kind of international treaty should we sign and does this going to stunt economic growth or is it going to help economic growth all important conversations. They're all part of the conversation. But underlying all of those conversations is the fact that the Western world especially is completely disconnected from the Earth and from a love of nature, a love of the planet, and uh, a seeing of the, the naturalness of the planet as something beautiful and necessary. And if humanity, especially Americans, were able to get more deeply in touch with that, this wouldn't even be an issue because we would want to be stewards and
1: caretakers of the earth in a much deeper way. I mean, we're talking about immune systems being rocked by the overuse of antibiotics and people are now trying to be more preemptive in their healthcare. And just connect that to what an ecosystem is. A planetary ecosystem is an immune system and it is fueled by biological diversity, meaning species diversity and healthy topsoil. Those two things are the regulating bodies of our entire planet. And without that, whether climate change exists or doesn't, I know that the Earth will not be able to respond to epidemics of pests and disease if we continue to think that we can live in spite of it. Yeah. So, I mean, the, probably
3: the greatest lesson I would imagine that you've learned in having this deep, intense relationship with the Earth is that the... Earth itself is a organism, and um, just like if you have you know too much duck poop in the in the pond, uh, things will go out of balance. but isn't it also the case that I mean I think you' you've probably experienced this that the that nature, the earth, has a way of just fixing itself, and the way it fixes itself is by getting rid of the thing that's the problem <laughs> yeah. so all of this is to say, <laughs> aren't we the problem? And do you? I mean, uh, my biggest fear isn't so much climate change or, or you know, things like that. My fear is that the Earth, at a certain point, is just going to be like, you know what? Fuck you guys.
0: Have <laughs> had it. Fuck us off. Yeah. Uh,
3: I mean, is, that, is this is this a thing that becomes very real and concrete living here?
1: Well, I think people often say that humans are the cancer of the Earth, and I think cancer is a is a cell that figures out how to turn off the switches that would uh, end its life at an appropriate time. And it lives forever and replicates and continues to live without a consciousness for its dependency on the host. And then eventually the host dies, and so does the cancer. The reality is, is that humans are a force of nature that are conscious of our dependency. And the more we've become conscious of our dependency the more we've actually been able to right the wrongs of economical damage, the faster we've been able to right those wrongs with a consciousness to our effect on it. So like, for example, it took 260 years to lose a third of the world's topsoil, deforest 46% of the trees, right? And double our carbon numbers from 200 to 400 parts per million. And on this farm, it took 45 years for them to destroy the soil before we got it. But then with consciousness, we reverse it to better than what it was in just seven. And so to your point, humans have the potential to be cancer, but with consciousness, they can become the positive human force of nature that they are. Part of the uh, challenge in a
3: farm like this is to have the strictures necessary, right, to control, to pen, domesticate, and all that stuff, but then to allow things to flourish, the animals, the, the trees, as
1: though they were in the wild, right? Well, you're looking for these methods of biomimicry, biologically mimicking the way in which nature interacts in a healthy way. You're looking for these relationships that are mutualistic in their benefiting one another by coexisting, And that is sort of the basis for symbiosis. And those three words really put together as you begin to look at your decision-making on a farm through those lenses, it really begins to inform the boundaries and the rules of engagement. So we've talked a lot about negative aspects of humanity's disconnection from nature and how much we can
2: gain from a connection to the natural cycles. But where do you see the hope lying? you know the amazons on fire the arctic it got up to over 90 94 degrees in the arctic circle there's more and more helplessness loneliness anxiety depression among younger people our political system seems to be increasingly
1: more and more broken if such a thing is possible where does the hope lie i think as we become more conscious to the dependency that we have on the finite natural resources of this planet the more curious we become in how it works the more aware we become that this thing is actually trying to keep us alive. And we become an incredibly potent force of human nature when we are conscious of our ability to work as stewards alongside of it. And we haven't had a 10-year period or a 20-year or a five-year period to experience that as a culture until now. It's happening right now. Regenerative agriculture is having an impact and it's quantifying the data. A 1% increase in soil organic matter, which we've increased 3% here, on 214 acres, a 1% increase per acre sequesters 21 tons of atmospheric carbon. People didn't know about that stuff 30 years ago. So I think it's an incredibly hopeful time to be alive. There's a there's this whole idea about how sustainability
3: is about reinvigorating the this, this spiritual connection that we have uh, with the earth, right? The, this idea that... Um, When we distance ourselves from the source of our food, um, what we are doing is creating a barrier uh, in our souls almost. And the flip side to that, of course, is that the more we mechanize the farming process, right, the more it's about volume um, instead of biodiversity, which is, you know, your your whole point here. Um, It's that what we are doing is allowing science to uh dissolve the sacred that there is that the sacred exists precisely in our communion with the earth in the life and death process right in the planting and the sowing and the reaping and 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 all of that when i when i'm done every, every like six weeks or so seven weeks or so i have to like Get the chickens out of the my coop and get all of the the pine shavings and and poop that they have, um, and then the very process of taking that stuff and then putting it into my garden and then having eventually you know cucumbers uh, come out of it and then taking that cucumber and giving it to my to my son. That experience for him is just mind-blowing and it's sacred it's a sacred experience right it's like it's where it's where i hope that he will eventually understand where god lives you know not in a temple not a church but chicken poop inside the chicken poop okay that's what i'm trying to say is that god lives in my chicken
4: <laughs> <poop>. <laughs> that was beautiful
3: molly have you experienced the sacred
2: on this farm
4: oh my gosh it's entirely that's where it's we're living inside of what is sacred. It's alive and around us. And this is, yeah, we're at the, we're at the core of what feels sacred to me and John, I think. So
3: John and Molly, uh, we're going to start our, our lightning round. Molly, what does your deathbed look like?
4: Oh, um, deathbed. Uh, I kind of I want to be outside, um, covered in worms. Yeah, <laughs> not covered in worms, or just nice breeze. Maybe outside, underneath something, and the, under the shade of a tree. That would be really nice with my kids and my dogs, and kind of just like living. Not like it's sick, but it's like where you are right then. That would be nice.
2: John, when do you feel most connected with the universe? Ooh,
1: when I have discovered a way to solve a problem on the farm with something else that also appeared like a problem. And when I'm able to merge those two things together, I feel like Mother Nature.
4: Molly, do you pray? Yes. Often. Sometimes not often, sometimes often. Always just not with much formality. Sometimes I get on my knees in front of my bed. Um, Sometimes I get on my knees in a pasture and sometimes I won't pray for a couple months and then it it just brings me back to something that I need.
1: John,
2: uh
1: what do you think is the purpose of your life? I think to find the the deepest form of reconnection with the earth and pass that on. Molly, what's the one thing you know for sure?
4: Oh what do I know for sure? I know that when I look into my kids' eyes, I know that it's good. It, meaning something bigger, is good.
2: And, John, what is your life's big
1: question? Really, to me, like it's so hard to believe that this planet exists. With the only beings, perhaps, at least that we know of, that are conscious of the entire universe, it's got to be something bigger. And so I wonder what that is, but maybe that's not important.
2: Reza, do you know what the hippest, coolest occupation on the planet is? A uh, podcast uh, host. Okay, good point. Second most cool, hip occupation on the planet? Uh, no idea. Barber. What? Barbers. Think, when I was a kid, barbers were losers. They were old men, usually with no hair, mm-hmm. and you get like $8.50 for, you know, Trimming people and and whatnot, bars are barbers. It was not an occupation you wanted to brag about. But now, like in L.A. and New York, a lot of the cities, the hipsterest people are are these barbers. But you know what? I think that farmer is going to supplant uh, barber as the coolest, hippest, and maybe most important occupation on the planet.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think looking at the sort of mechanization of the farming industry over the yep. last hundred years and mono that, farming yeah yep. and that we're now changing that right that people don't want that anymore they want the kind of farming that the chesters are doing and i think you know it's not just about the food it's about the connectivity that it, we're, we're living on a single uh, ecosystem that we're intimately a part of it and that you know how we live has these ripple effects for the rest of the planet.
2: You said ripple effects and and that's what I was just thinking about. There's reverberations to what they did far beyond, oh, we went to a farm and we had some travails and we planted things and now they grow and now we're farmers. They had experiences that connected them to each other, to the earth, to the natural world. To their souls. To their souls, to their purpose. I mean, farming kind of gave them a purpose and a direction, and you can just see it in them. They're so alive uh, with being there and sharing both what they grow and what they've learned.
3: So I hope, uh, dear listeners, that you guys were as impressed and as in- enthused by, uh, you know, this uh, the story of the Chesters and uh, their apricot lane farms as we were. And, you know, we want to hear from you. How How do you connect with the earth uh do you find your purpose in nature tell us about it you can find us on our socials at reza aslan and at rain wilson don't forget hashtag metaphysical
2: and you can also email us uh metaphysical milkshake at soulpancake.com in case you uh have a longer question or an essay you'd like to send us
3: yeah and uh plant a garden plant a garden people Thank you again to our guests, Molly and John Chester, and everyone at Apricot Lane Farms, which apparently you can actually visit. They're taking <laughs> guests.
2: <laughs> See you next time. So long. Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It is produced by Safa Samazadeh Yazd, Harris Lane, Mick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Bluebell. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. Original music by Jeff Tang. Metaphysical Milkshake is produced by Amy S. Choi and Rebecca Lehrer of the Mashup Americans. Associate producers are Jocelyn Gonzalez, Lindsay Cradwell, Sarah Pellegrini, Mary Phillips-Sandy, and Shelby Sandlin. Original music by Jeff Tang and Scott Tang.
3: By the way, I love the the visual element as you're speaking of watching a, a, a cow shit. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> right. It's just uh, right in front of us. But this is there really, it goes. There it goes. I wish me. humans could
2: do that. By the way, Reza,
3: <laughs> just walk around pooping. Well, just yeah, just like if you, if it's just coming out, just I let mean, it go. You, I mean, just, you could do that, Rain.
4: You could
3: walk around pooping. I think it might damage your acting career, but you could you could it do might it. help
1: it.